evidence and answers. We have all experienced the pain of a divorce. Either we have personally gone through it or know a close friend who has. Unfortunately, the church is ill-equipped to deal with this major issue. Is there ever a justified reason for divorce? Can a divorced person remarry? If so, under what circumstances? When it comes to divorce and remarriage, Christians have several different positions. It is a major issue in this culture and the church, and it's important that we have a biblical understanding of this issue. Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat Zucran presents a biblical exposition on divorce and remarriage. Pat is a national and international speaker, teacher, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Pat has been going through a series of studies on ethical issues, and today Pat discusses the topic of divorce and remarriage. Let's join Pat now on this important topic. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we present compelling evidence for faith in Christ and provide biblical answers to challenges of our time. Today, we're going to address one of the most difficult and emotional issues the church and the culture faces today, and that is the issue of divorce and remarriage. This is an issue that we all have to deal with, either personally or we know friends and family members who have gone through this painful ordeal. You know, in 1962, there were estimated to be about 400,000 divorces. In 1981, that number jumped to 1.2 million. In the 1940s, only 14% of women were divorced. But in a single generation, that number shot up to 50%. Recent Barna statistics reveal that 33% of marriages end in divorce. George Barna, sociologist who directed the study, noted that Americans have grown comfortable with divorce as a natural part of life. He states, There no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. The researcher indicated that interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last but are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There is also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage, in which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. So divorce and remarriage is one of the top issues facing the culture and the church today. And in the church today, you will have people who are divorced. You'll have divorced people seeking a second marriage. You'll have divorced people looking to serve in positions of leadership. So it is important that we understand the issue and how to deal with the issue in a gracious, loving, but a biblical manner. First, let's take a look at some of the factors for the increase in divorce. And they're primarily based on a new attitude and what is perceived to be, quote, new opportunity. Starting with the baby boomers, there was an attitude that developed that says, if the marriage is hard, divorce and move on. Whereas in previous generations, they did what it took to make the marriage work. In the wedding vows, we say, for better or for worse, till death do us part. But although those are the words uttered, the attitude seems to have become, if it gets tough, I'll move on to, quote, greener pastures. A second factor in the rise in divorce parallels with the increase in working women. Now, I'm not opposed to women working. The Bible commends women who work. So there's no biblical commandment against women working. 
And I believe if women can keep a balance of a healthy marriage and their work, just as men must, then I believe the Bible allows for that. But these statistics show that working women are less likely to stay in a marriage that is not fulfilling. Sociologist David Popino surveyed a number of studies on divorce, and this is the conclusion he came to. He said, nearly all have reached the same general conclusion. It has typically been found that the probability of divorce goes up the higher the wife's income and the closer that income is to her husband's. Now, once again, as I state, that is not a condemnation on women who are working. The Bible commends women who do work and make a living. The statistics show us, however, that we should be cautious. And women who choose to work should be aware of the challenges that face them, just as men who work need to balance their work life with their family life, so women who choose to work must also do the same. Third, surveys also show that children of divorced parents are four times more likely to get divorced than children of intact couples. A fourth factor is the rise in no-fault divorce. In the United States, a person seeking a divorce needed to prove cruelty, desertion, or adultery. However, in 1969, California enacted a no-fault divorce policy and soon other states followed. And after this was installed, the divorce rate rose in 44 of the 50 states in the United States. So before no-fault divorce was enacted, it was much harder to get a divorce. You had to prove some kind of cruelty, desertion, or adultery, or often you were ordered by the courts to work on your marriage and to seek counseling and to work at it. But with no-fault divorce, it makes divorce much quicker, much easier, and much more convenient. So those are some of the factors that has led to a rise in the rate of divorce. Now let's take a look at the biblical view of marriage, God's intended design for marriage. First, Marriage is designed to be between one man and one woman. Genesis 1 verse 27 states, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Matthew 19 verse 4, Jesus states, When addressing the issue of marriage and divorce, Jesus states, Haven't you read? that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let man not separate. Second, marriage involves sexual union. Genesis 1.28 God commanded Adam and Eve he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. So be fruitful and multiply means to reproduce children, to fill the earth and rule over the earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 through 4, Paul writes this to husbands and wives. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. 
In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you, because of your lack of self-control. So sex is a good thing. It's a gift that God had given, but it's to be practiced only in the context of marriage, of a one man and one woman who have committed themselves to a lifetime relationship to one another. Third, marriage involves a covenant before God. This is the oldest institution, the marriage covenant. It's the oldest institution, and it is not created by man. It's not a man-created thing. It is an institution that God has created there back in Genesis chapter 1. So it's a covenant made to one another, but more importantly, it's a covenant that's made before God. That's the nature of biblical marriage. Now, the duration of marriage. Marriage is designed to be a lifelong commitment. Matthew 19, verse 6, Jesus states, So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment. However, marriage is not eternal. The marriage covenant is for our life here upon the earth. In Matthew 22, Jesus answering the Pharisees about this whole issue says in verse 34, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So Jesus stated here that marriage is not for all eternity, that in the glorified heavenly state, there is no marriage. Marriage is meant as a lifetime commitment for two individuals, male and female, here upon the earth. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, Paul allows widows to remarry. So the marriage covenant is intended while the two individuals are alive, committed to one another. But it is not eternal, and if one spouse should go to glory before the other, the one who remains is allowed to remarry. Also, marriage is to be between one man and one woman. 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew chapter 19, Genesis 1 makes it very clear that marriage is between one man and one woman. Now, some may say, well, what about the Old Testament saints, Abraham, David, Solomon, and others who married numerous wives? They were in, involved in polygamous marriages. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17 clearly forbids polygamy. And if you look in the lives of the saints who had many wives, multiple wives created multiple problems. There were tremendous problems in their marriages. That's why God intended marriage to be one man and one woman. And we must understand, God permitting is not the same as what God prescribed or commanded. In these situations, God allowed these men to marry multiple wives, but it's not something that he prescribed or was the ideal which he designed and commanded. So there's a difference between what God permits and what God prescribes. And what God prescribed was one man and one woman in a lifetime commitment of marriage. Well, that's the biblical nature of marriage. 
Now, unfortunately, divorce is a reality. It's a reality that we have to deal with. God had to deal with that, with the people in the Old and the New Testament. And there are several views that have developed regarding divorce and remarriage that has been held by Christians throughout the ages. And so I'm going to offer several of the views here. Now, I'm going to offer several of the views here. And I understand that as Christians, we may not all agree on our views of divorce and remarriage. And I'm not saying that my view is the final inspired authoritative word from God. No, I understand that I'm a limited, finite human being, and I do my best to study and exegete the Word of God to present what I believe is an accurate representation of what God is teaching on this particular subject. But it is the responsibility of each Christian to study this subject carefully and to see what the Word of God has to say for itself, not to just take the Word of your pastor or your denomination passively, but to really study the Word of God and see what it says. You know, I was surprised when I went to graduate school there and I discovered that many godly men and Christian leaders had differing views when it came to divorce and remarriage. And so on this particular subject, we're going to have to agree to disagree here. But here are the various views. And then I'm going to say what I think is the most biblical position here. But I understand that many of you may not agree with my particular position, and that's okay. I hope that I can give a good biblical exposition of my position, and I challenge you to study the Word of God to see what it says and to come to your own conclusions here. But here are the various positions regarding divorce and remarriage. Now, there are several views regarding divorce and remarriage, but basically I think we can sum them up in basically four positions here, and I'm speaking very generally here. The first position is that there are no grounds for divorce at any time. And if divorce happens, remarriage is never allowed. The two people who divorce cannot remarry. The second position is that there is one ground for divorce, and that is adultery. But remarriage is not allowed for either party. They either must reconcile or remain single the rest of their lives. The third position is that there are two grounds for divorce, adultery and abandonment by one of the partners. And remarriage in these cases is allowed. And the fourth position is that there are several grounds for divorce and remarriage is allowed for the one who has been divorced upon. Okay, now those are the four views of divorce and remarriage. Now let me go into a biblical defense of each of these positions. And as I stated earlier, Great Christian leaders have had different positions on divorce and remarriage. So I'm going to try to, in the fairest way I can, present the biblical defense of each of these positions. And you're going to have to come up with your own position, which one you think has the strongest biblical case to support its position. Now let's take a look at the first position. Divorce is never allowed. And if the couple does divorce they must remain single for the rest of their lives. Remarriage is not allowed. The support for this position holds that divorce violates God's design, that marriage is meant to be for a lifetime. Therefore, divorce is never justified under any circumstance whatsoever. Divorce breaks a vow before God. In Mark chapter 10, this position states that Jesus condemned 
all divorce. In Mark chapter 10, verse 10, it reads, Jesus says, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So in this position, it is understood that Jesus condemned all divorce and does not allow for remarriage. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 speaks of an elder must be the husband of one wife. Therefore, a divorced person cannot serve in leadership in the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 talks about the church being the bride of Christ, so divorce violates God's typology. And in John chapter 4 here, Jesus talking to the woman at the well, Jesus was stating that one's first partner is one's true partner for life. Therefore, you must reconcile or you cannot remarry. Now, that's the argument for this particular position. No divorce and no remarriage. The second view is that there are one or two grounds where divorce is allowed. It is not God's ideal, but it is allowed in this situation. And that is for adultery or abandonment. Here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus states, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And Jesus repeats that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, where he states, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So one of the grounds in which divorce is allowed is that of adultery. And then in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15, it states, But if an unbelieving partner leaves, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So the second ground upon which divorce is allowed is abandonment. If the spouse abandons the relationship. So this particular position says divorce is allowed in the case of adultery or abandonment, but remarriage is not allowed. Both parties must remain single or be reconciled to one another. But it's on those two grounds, adultery or abandonment, in which divorce is allowed. Now the third position is this. Now the third position is that there are two grounds in which divorce is allowed, adultery and abandonment, and remarriage is allowed for the person who is faithful and has been divorced upon. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, according to this position, Jesus states, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. In other words, Jesus was saying, if one partner has been unfaithful, divorce is allowed, and the one who remained faithful in the marriage is allowed to remarry. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15 states, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. In other words, if one member of the marriage abandons the marriage, Paul says here, 
In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. So remaining in the bondage of singleness is a form of enslavement here, or bondage, as some translations says. And Paul says, in such a case, the one who's been abandoned is not in bondage or enslaved. Therefore, the one who has been abandoned, who remained faithful but was abandoned by the other partner, is allowed to remarry. That having to remain in singleness can be a form of bondage or slavery. So they are allowed to remarry here. The final position states that there are several grounds in which divorce is allowed and remarriage is allowed for the one who has been divorced upon. As stated in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, 15, Jesus and Paul allow for divorce and mention two circumstances, specifically adultery and abandonment. But according to this position, those are two specific circumstances that Jesus and Paul mention. But there are others. Generally, the grounds for divorce, according to this position, is immorality or unfaithfulness to the covenant of marriage. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, God says to Israel, She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. So God here symbolically gives the decree of divorce to the nation of Israel for what? Well, for her unfaithfulness to the covenant between herself and the Lord. So for unfaithfulness, God says here, I give you a decree of divorce. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 1, God says to Israel, this is what the Lord says, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? So once again, God gives to Israel here her certificate of divorce. And the reason is for unfaithfulness to the covenant between herself and the Lord. So in this position, marriage is a mutual vow between two parties. And if one is unfaithful to that covenant, then the one who has been faithful and been abandoned or the victim of the unfaithfulness of the other partner, then divorce is allowed and remarriage is allowed if reconciliation is not possible. According to this position, reconciliation is the first priority of a couple that has divorced, but it, if it is not possible, then remarriage is allowed. So in this position, there are several grounds for divorce. Basically, the ground is unfaithfulness to the covenant of marriage. Two are specifically named by Jesus in Matthew 19 and Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. But there are other cases as well where there is dangerous, destructive, sinful, unrepentant behavior that would constitute unfaithfulness to the marriage covenant. And therefore, divorce, not the best, but it is allowed by God in this particular situation. And remarriage is allowed if reconciliation is not possible. That is this fourth position. Now, those are generally the four positions that have been held by Christians throughout the ages. And most Christians hold to one of those four or one of those forms of those four. And I understand that Christians have various views on divorce and remarriage. 
But those are the four views, and it's the responsibility of each Christian to study the passages of Scripture and to come to their own conclusion. Now, when we're back together next time, we're going to take a careful look and do some exegetical work on the passages I talked about, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7, and others, regarding marriage and divorce, and really get in deep to see what the biblical text is saying. And hopefully we can come to a conclusion of which one of these four has the most biblical support for their position. Look forward to seeing you again as we tackle this tough challenge on divorce and remarriage. I hope it's been challenging to you to really study and get into the scriptures and to study this issue. And when you deal with those who are divorced or those who are remarried, you would come at it from a biblical position, but also a position of love and of grace. I look forward to seeing you next time here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. If you missed any part of this show or would like to hear the entire series on this issue, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. This show relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us next time as we continue our series on ethics right here on Evidence and Answers.